Hello, everybody. Welcome to Five Hole Fantasy Hockey. We're your hosts today, TJ Branson and Mike Rogerson. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Zach, is, uh, he's at work today. It's like Sunday. For me, it's almost afternoon for you guys on the West Coast. Uh, Kevin, who's also in Vancouver, it's it's like 9 a.m. So good morning to you guys. We're not doing the usual like drinking and hanging out. It's more a podcast over coffee right now. But no, um, Nobody tells Zach I stole his line either. <laughs> Okay, so what we have for you guys today, we got Kevin Woodley. Uh, so in our last episode, we had Kat Silverman on. We're talking goalies. They both work at In Goal Magazine, and Kevin is another brain in the same headspace, like goalie. You know, there's so many questions. So we split it up a little bit. Kevin's going to shed some light on some different topics, some overlaps. Like, you know, we obviously want to get more than one take on Bobrovsky um, and just different guys. So maybe there's there's different takes out there. We want to get that kind of stuff. So I hope you guys dig it. And uh, we're looking forward to talking to Kevin. So we're going to get right to that. Sounds good. Let's talk weird goalies. Hello. Well, Kev, thanks for, for hanging out with us today. Welcome to Five Hole Fantasy Hockey. Um, I know you work with like Ingle Magazine that you cover the Canucks for the NHL.com. And Raj is actually a Canucks fan, so fancy that is a perfect match made in heaven, I guess you could say. What else are you working on that people should like click on, listen to, anything that you want to plug, man? Um, I guess the In Goal Radio podcast would be uh, one of them, uh, as well as just InGoalMag.com. And with the caveat that probably only if you're a goaltender, right? <laughs> like, I, I, I don't know how much uh, interest this holds. I mean, I guess if you're a fan of the position, maybe, but uh, inglemag.com, we've gone to uh, a paid um, subscription service there, and we really are about, like, if you're a goaltender, you won't find anything better uh, in the world, frankly. Like, we literally have drills from NHL goalies, NHL goalie coaches, including video demonstrations, teaching tips, um, inside the locker room gear, uh, reviews, gear tips from pros, how they wear it, how they set it up, and why. Uh, and once a week, we have something called Pro Reads, where an NHL goalie actually sits down and does a video session with me and breaks down saves and save selections. Um, find that a lot of goalies, you, you hear that phrase, and I actually don't love the phrase, but you hear the phrase goalie school goalie a lot these days. And um, that that ability, which is one of the reasons uh, the Russians are so popular right now in terms of NHL teams wanting to go over there and find goaltending, is they don't get too technical in their instruction at too young an age. The kids learn to sort of how to read and play on instinct. And sometimes that gets coached out of kids here in North America, actually, and in other countries too. I know we had Linus Allmark on from Sweden not too long ago, and he felt like they had become too technical at too young an age as a nation of goaltenders. So what Pro Reads does is allows you to see the game through an NHL goalie's eyes and understand just how complex their reads are as the puck is moving around the zone, what hand a guy is, how their how their read on something changes as soon as it hits a different spot in the zone, uh, how defensive structure and what their expectations are for their defensemen affect how they play certain situations and ultimately the save selection. So that's one that might be fascinating if, even if you're not a goalie, but I can say for sure, if you are a goalie, uh, we'll help you make you a better goalie, whether it's beer league, junior, a lot of parents actually um, have subscribed and and because they'll be the first to tell you they're not goalie coaches. <laughs> but this helps them understand the position better when they're watching their kids and then be able to re- relate better to them, um, both technically or just advice in the car ride home. So, yeah, we've got something for everyone. Sports psychologist John Stevenson works with Carter Hart. Um, Braden Holpe, he, he comes in and gives us tips. 
off ice tips with Adam Francilia, who is the guy who changed um, Connor Hellebuck's game basically by changing his body. Uh, so just all kinds of stuff. If you're a goalie, we'll make you a better goalie. Ingoalmeg.com. Thanks for letting me do like a three minute shameless plug. There. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. We actually just had a uh, Cat uh, Silverman on too. So we're doing like a lot of, of goalie stuff because for fantasy hockey, it's one of the most, and I'm sure it is in the NHL too, it's one of the more unpredictable things. And it's a big part of our leagues and stuff. So just starting as another plug, I've listened to a ton of stuff that you put out shows you've been on and stuff. We're excited, stuff we're excited about. And I'm really happy that you carved some time out for us this morning. I know you got a tea time to get to and everything. So I don't want to, you know, inflate your head too big going into a competition and anything, but <laughs> you can pump my head up all you want here. There's nothing more deflating than my swing on the first tee. So it'll be the, that balloon gets popped as soon as the clubs come out. Don't worry about it. Well, your, your episode on the, the PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich is like hands down my favorite one that, that, um, that Dimitri's ever put out. So anything that we don't cover here, I'm trying not to be too redundant. So you're not answering the same questions over and over again. But if, if there's anything that we don't physically cover here, speaking to my listeners now, uh, definitely check out the PDO cast. It was super insightful. I checked out the, the Canucks conversation. I know it was really Canucks oriented and we want to get to some other goalies here. So I think we're going to start off just at a baseline. Do you play any fantasy hockey? I used to. I do not anymore. Um, my nickname, and this is probably a caveat I should throw right out there, uh, in, in my regular hockey pools, like, you know, traditional right. hockey pools where you just pick at the beginning of the year. Uh, my nickname in some of the regular ones I took part in with college buddies, so like 20 years now, is the donator. So <laughs> just bi week. Um, grain, grain of salt on everything <laughs> else. I, I just find, um, you know, I, I do play fantasy football still. Um, but even there, I actually tried to get out of that this year and they just wouldn't let me leave. Um, it's like the mafia or something. They were actually NHL goalies that were like, you can't leave. You're in this. Um, it's, it's the time suck element. I just find, uh, I, 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 to be good at it, you got to be on top of it. Right. And I got enough. I got to be on top of in my life. If we could just have like an all goalie league. Because that's something I have to be on top of, anyways. Maybe I'd be in, but setting rosters and things like that, man. Like uh, I got kids, fair, yeah. and uh, it's just it's been tough. So yeah, hope to get back into it. Maybe one day when I have more than you know half an hour a day of free time. Uh, just to get things going right out of the gate, to get anybody that might be listening to a fantasy hockey podcast on the hook. Who's your sleeper pick going into next year? Is there anybody that you see that is maybe not getting it? Like the right amount of limelight. I know people like Vasilevsky are going to go right off the board in our drafts and stuff. Who would you have as like a sleeper or a value play? Ooh, see the problem here is I don't know when everyone's going, right? Well, you got to figure it's going to be the workhorses and and the big names too. See, but here's the thing. Uh, No, I mean like, I don't know who's going where, like I really honestly don't know where Jacob Markstrom ends up next year. And he would have been a guy who I would have told, you know, would have had high on that list this year. Um, you know, again, I don't know what his fantasy value ended up at, but I can tell you his sort of metrics, you know, and, and the caveat I'll throw out right at, at the beginning here is I have access to ClearSight Analytics numbers, which we talked about in the in the podcast, the PDL cast with Dimitri. So, um, you know, those are proprietary, but uh, they weight shot quality better than anything I've seen anywhere else. You know, Markstrom was number one. So I don't know how that translated, like where he would have been in the fantasy world last year, but he would be a guy that if he stays in Vancouver, I would absolutely be high on. My bigger question is almost a question for you guys. Like, like how are you going to handle fantasy when every team is in like a, it won't be a pure timeshare, but there will be more timeshares in goal next season. We're yep. already hearing about the condensed schedule. 
accurately predicted the number of uh, teams that would have to use more than one goaltender in these playoffs because of the condensed schedule, even with no travel. If we end up with a travel and condensed schedule next year, man, it is going to be 1A and 1B, and that line between them is going to be as thin as ever. So it, it, you know... It makes it harder and and not knowing where guys end up, you know, like if Jacob Markstrom ends up in Vancouver, he'd be high on my list. If he ends up with another team and a different goalie coach and a different defensive system and different types of shots, there's unpredictability there that I would be scared of. So I guess my answer would be stability is going to be important here. And guys that are staying in systems with coaches and defensive structures and everything around them with everything that's going on in the world. And all the unpredictability that comes with it, I think guys that have a stable environment will probably have an easier time next season than the guys that move. And it's one of the reasons I kind of, as much as it's a buyer's market for unrestricted free agent goalies coming up here in a couple of weeks, I would, I would, I would say it might be a little buyer beware as well. And I actually think there will be a number of goalies that just decide amidst all that uncertainty to take the safe bet and stay home, so to speak, and maybe even turn down more term and more money. Um, to stay where they are because it removes all those like like imagine it's 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 tough enough when can I come into the country where do I live um, how does the pandemic affect my kids schools can, can I even can I even cross the border to get to training camp do my do my kids and wife have to quarantine like all these questions heading into next season that could be there you don't want to add that to Oh, do I like my goalie coach? Is he going to ask me to play on my post differently? Can I trust this defenseman on the back door? I've never played with him before. Why are we blocking all these shots where I used to play? They let me see the shots. Like, I just think that a lot of goalies are going to look at all those questions and say, I want as few questions as possible. And if they don't, I would be a little more hesitant on guys. Like, I'd, I'd, I would shy away from a fantasy perspective if I had to from guys who change teams. I think there'll probably be a bigger hiccup at the start of the season than usual. And I think that will probably put them more likely to be in job shares. This is a, a little bit off script for for us, but um, do you think that, uh, say, it would be something to watch out for? Like, I'm happy to go with Canucks as an example all day long, but <laughs> say someone like Markstrom, where he seemed to have a unique setup where he's, they, he seems to face a lot of shots, but it's he stops them all. So maybe like you're saying there, he's used to the types of shots he's facing maybe. So if he goes to a new team, would you see like a new system just kind of blowing him right up again? It took him a long time to get to where he's at too, right? Well, he's changed some things in his game that I think will translate no matter where he goes. So I don't think that's going to fall apart. I do worry a little bit about it eroding over time if he leaves because a lot of the changes in his game over the past two seasons have been instituted by a particular goaltending coach in Ian Clark who, you know, he rides his guys like Zorro, man. Like, he is all over them. And, and you know, Markstrom is a guy that likes to work hard, um, so he embraced it. I, I wonder what happens if he takes his foot off the gas, if the next guy isn't pushing as hard or isn't pushing the same buttons. I wonder if there's any slippage there. In terms of environment for Markstrom, and I would guess this would actually bode really well for fantasy because you get credit. Like, it's saves count, right? It's not yeah, just yeah, wins mostly. and shutouts and things like that. Okay. So for Jacob, when I talked about those adjusted numbers and how good they were this season... A large part of it, and this would sort of translate, um, you know, Mike, you probably heard it, you know, post-game, we'd, we'd watch Markstrom make like five or six highlight reel saves, 
the Canucks would get caved in on the shot chart, and, and Travis Green would come out and say that uh, post game that uh, he, you know he felt like they kept him to the outside a lot. And if you watch the game, your eyes would kind of roll back a little bit. Truth is, he wasn't off. Yes, Markstrom had to make some some great A stops, and and he was good at the high what we call high danger CSA calls them high percentage shots. So I'll just go with high danger because that's what people know. But he was just above, like he was slightly above average with high danger. He was slightly above average with mid danger. Where Markstrom really excelled and where he sort of climbed up that that list when I talk about those um, those rankings and those ratings from CSA, the low danger stuff. The Canucks did give up a ton of shots, but they did force most of them to the outside to easy saves. It does two things for Jacob Markstrom. It pads your stats in fantasy, which you guys would probably love, mm-hmm. but it also allows him to feel and find the game and get into rhythm. It's what I call 99 percenters. Carolina used to be famous for this, especially under Bill Peters. They would take, like, they dominated the Corsi and everybody loved them for that. But they would take 99 percenters at the other end all the time. And I, I talked to their goalies and, like, it's a little frustrating to sit in our crease and we don't get any shots. We don't get to feel the puck. And we watch our team basically warm up the other guy at the other end for 10 minutes with shots that every goalie saves 99% of the time. That makes you feel good as a goaltender, right? And then Carolina would inevitably, their goalie wouldn't see a shot for seven minutes, and then he'd face an odd man rush. And then people wondered why they struggled. It was not an, It's not that it was a tough environment statistically, but mentally it could be a tough environment to play in. Um, the Canucks have an environment that fits Jacob's game. That's the biggest thing. He got rid of the soft goals. Now, there are specific te- technical elements tied to the way he tracks pucks and moves that allowed him to move into those pucks rather than... Like, there are reasons technically he got rid of the soft goals. What I'm less certain of is, can he play at the same level behind a team like, say, Carolina? At least Carolina in the past. To be honest, I haven't looked at them under Brendan Moore. I suspect some of this still exists. Where you don't get those shots. Or there are other teams that try and block all those outside shots. Hey, they consider that good defense. Their goalie would like to feel one every once in a while. I, I coin it rhythm goaltending, that, that the feel of the puck, you get into that timing and rhythm. I'm not sure that Jacob is as reliant now as he used to be on rhythm and timing, but certainly he hasn't played behind a good defensive team. The Canucks aren't going to be one for a while. I don't think he doesn't have to worry about that here. But you put him behind a great defensive team where he doesn't get those shots, and I do wonder if he has the same level of success. And from a fantasy perspective, he certainly isn't going to because he's not making all those easy saves that propped up his value for you guys last year. So, um, yeah, environment matters. Not everybody can play behind a great defensive team. Curtis Joseph is sort of the easy example. Uh, excelled when he was getting shelled. Went to Detroit with expectations to win a cup and wasn't busy enough and could never find that rhythm and timing he relied on because he never saw enough shots to stay busy enough to stay in that mode. Well, just to, uh, I'm sure you and I could talk about Canucks goalies all day long and uh, and leave TJ in the dust here. <laughs> but uh, maybe we should just finish off um, finish off Vancouver while we're on there. How do you think um, the other two, like I, I actually personally, when I look at our, our goalie pipeline right now between Markstrom being a, a wicked 30-year-old, Demko being a wicked mid-20s guy, and then we got DiPietro down there, uh, it seems like we have a nice string of goalies. Do you think... Do you think we get to play with all of them? Do we get to keep can can Benning pull this off and have maybe a decade's worth of good goaltending here, or are we going to have to lose some? I think inevitably you probably lose some to Seattle. 
I could be wrong there. You might it might not matter because Markstrom might not be here. You know, coming out of free agency in a couple of weeks. So you do make a good point. Like 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 Demko had a hell of a playoffs, and and he showed you what he's capable of. I do think there's a risk in assuming that's going to be what happens right out of the gate next season. Uh, I think Columbus is a great example. They walk from Bobrovsky, and everybody says it was a win because Corpus Salo and Elvis Merzlikens had merged by the end of the season. But what you got to remember is if there's not an expanded playoffs, they're not in it. And Merzlikens and Corpus Allo both struggled in the roles for the first time at the start of the season. And a lot of people in Columbus for the first couple of months were like, man, we need a save. And so when you turn it over, there's a learning curve and there's a growth chart that the goalie's got to go through. And the fact Demko did so well in the playoffs tells you maybe maybe his learning curve is shorter and maybe it'll be faster. You know, he's not it's not like Elvis Merzlikens coming into the NHL for the, for the first time ever and, and being put on that stage. Um, but Corpus Allo had been around a while and he stubbed his toe out of the gate. They both stubbed their toe out of the gate and it put Columbus behind the eight ball, an eight ball that was basically only removed because the playoffs got expanded. So I don't think the Canucks can afford that type of step back, and that's probably why they're looking at trying to make sure they retain Jacob Markstrom, which probably means you lose Demko. But I think you rightly pointed out that that the the pipeline's pretty good. I don't know that that you want to count on Mikey DiPietro right away um, to be an NHL you know partner or backup, especially in a year where your backup's going to need to play. And and Demko's your only. I don't think you go full Columbus on this. But Mikey DiPietro is a lot closer than a lot of people think and frankly surprised me a little bit by how quick that evolution, I think surprised them if they're honest uh, in the conversations I've had with their goalie coach in terms of just how quickly he adapted to the changes that were asked of him and the success he had. So yeah, pipeline is there. It's not quite Columbus. I mean, Columbus was able to make that decision not just because of Merzlikens and because of Corpus who, by the way, is on the block right now. They're trying to sell high on him because they have such a deep pipeline behind them. You know, they've got the, the Finnish kid whose name I won't even try to pronounce. Um, Daniel Tarasov is an absolute. I know he's had some, yeah, it hasn't been a smooth transition to pro in Finland, but uh, I mean, he's he's six foot seven and has a better technical game than Pekka. Like, that's the comparison I get. He's Pekka Rene, but with better technique at his age. Um, so they, they, they're just so deep in goal. But I, I don't think the Canucks are there yet. They'd have to sign somebody in the short term, not just to get through this season, but you got to have somebody under contract for the expansion draft. If you lose Markstrom, you need to have somebody signed for two years that you can expose to Seattle as well. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious to see how this goes. To be honest, guys, I don't have any answers. I think Markstrom could end up settling and staying here for less than he could get elsewhere. Um, but there's going to be interest. You know, I expect Detroit to come knocking. We've all heard the Calgary rumors. And, um, you know, hey, if he ended up in Calgary, yeah, he'd be on my fantasy list. If he ends up in Detroit, I mean, that probably nukes a lot of value. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're spot on with that one. Um, I want to talk about Bobrovsky, somebody that was, you know, in a lot of top threes as far as like ranking lists for fantasy. You got the workload, you had his, his pedigree coming from two Vezina seasons in Columbus, all that kind of stuff. And everything just kind of collapsed in Florida, at least looking on paper and things like that. And by the way, happy birthday, Sergei Bobrovsky. Today's his birthday. So I was trying to read between the lines in Elliot Friedman's 31 Thoughts. And and Bill Zito was quoted as like he was cited both the New York Islanders and Columbus saying that they excelled at having a consistent, concerted effort and then asked if they could follow the pattern. It sounds like he wants to build a defensive style game there. Uh, if that happens, what do they need to do? And do you think there is any hope left for Bobrovsky? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm... There is absolutely hope left for Bobrovsky. I'm just kind of pulling up some numbers here while we talk. 
Listen, environment matters for goaltenders. There are very few who exceed their environment consistently. In other words, outplay poor defensive structure for a long period of time. And I do actually, I think it's cumulative too. If you're behind bad defense for a long period of time, it becomes very hard to trust it. Uh, all those reads I talked about at the beginning with with these goalies, it, it blows me away when we do pro reads and the, and the level of detail that they see in real speed in terms of 10 guys moving around the ice in front of them and how much their own defensive structure plays into that. So when you can't trust or, or aren't really able to know how your defensemen are going to handle things on a regular basis, that erodes pretty quickly. And the example I like to give, and maybe it's not fair anymore, but it was certainly applicable for a long time, was the Edmonton Oilers. You know, if that cross ice backdoor seam pass that this guy's supposed to take care of gets through nine straight times, you're probably going to start cheating it on the 10th because you just can't trust it anymore. And in this league, as soon as you start leaning and start cheating, that guy on the short side's ripping you high. So like, that's just the reality. It's, it's really hard to stay good in a bad defensive environment over time. And when it comes to bad defensive environments, that's the Florida Panthers. They're they're really bad defensively. So I'm, again, my apologies. I'm tr- like it's kind of hard to scroll live as I talk. Like like really bad expected save percentage for Bob. I'm trying to yeah. There we go. Uh, one of the lowest in the league. Um, one two three. Counting on air is really good too. Eh? One two three four five six. Seventh lowest. So the seventh worst defensive environment in the league. And if you look at the guys that had really bad environments, you're going to see some consistent themes here. Braden Holtby had the worst in the league. Michael Hutchinson was right there. Corey Schneider, Henrik Lundqvist, Martin Jones, Carter Hart. The only guy that really had a great season out of that was Carter Hart. And actually, Henrik Lundqvist, this, and this is another topic, but Lundqvist, up until them going to a three-goalie system, was a top-six goalie in the National Hockey League in terms of outperforming that horrendous Rangers defensive environment. Like, he didn't forget how to stop pucks. It's when they changed everything around him that things went to crap. So when I look at that and see how, like, just how bad of an environment Bob was playing in, yeah, I'm not surprised, especially because, and this is what I underestimated perhaps going into this trend this year and after after the signing, was just how good Columbus had been defensively. I kind of looked... I didn't have access to these metrics at the time. I used to kind of look at them as a shot-blocking team who collapsed. And, you know, those are sort of narratives. And, and those can actually cause problems for goalies because you can't read plays as, as much when you can't find pucks and those types of things. Like you've seen it with Hudobin, right? Colorado created that type of environment in the playoffs. And, I mean, the guy went into the Western Conference Final with a 909 save percentage because Colorado exploited his inability to find pucks and, and his size through layered screens. He just happened to run into a team in the next round that didn't believe in creating layered screens. They, they, they threw single single player screens at him and he can handle those all day. And I think it might happen against the Lightning too. So um, environment matters. Bob's was actually a lot better in Columbus than I realized. He wasn't outperforming and even in the Vesna years at radical numbers. He was, but not, not crazy. And so you add all that up and you put him now behind a team that can't defend. And and they can't defend. Like, they don't defend. I thought Quenville would improve it, but he didn't really. Um, and the numbers sort of bear that out. I look at it this way. Everyone saw Bob as the answer there. And they may take away my goalie union card for saying this, but very rarely can a goalie solve all your defensive problems. 
Like it needs to be, goaltending doesn't exist in a vacuum. That's another line I'm, I'm fond of saying. It relies on the structure in front of it. Roberto Luongo was a career 919 guy. James Reimer is a career 914 guy. When I see last season, both of those guys sort of sub 900 or around 900 at best, did they forget how to play goal? Like, that's just a bad defensive environment. I think in Bob's case, too, what they give up in Florida in terms of plays into the low slot, that sort of goes away the strength of his game because it's in a zone where you can't really react, and he's a, he's a guy that likes to be able to react. And so he got caught moving, got caught with a lot of pucks just over his pads and between his arm and his pads, uh, between his arm and his body as well. Like, he just never looks settled with his reads or with his execution. And when you look at how that team has played defensively for the past two years, it probably shouldn't be a surprise. But it also means that to assume he's no longer capable of being elite behind better structure is also ignorant. This just needs to be a better environment because he's still, a, it's not like he forgot how to play goal. And I think what Zito said to, to Elliot Friedman was that they recognize that. They're not going to throw out the goaltender. It's not all on him. This guy worked, like I've seen this guy's work ethic, it's off the charts. Goaltending coach, they don't believe that's the issue. It's They got to fix what's going on in front of them. You right. can't have, you know, as one of their former goaltenders told me, can't have six Keith Yandels playing in front of you. Somebody has to defend. <laughs> and I love Keith Yandel. You just can't have, like, there has to be some balance. Like, he's a great player, but you have to have some balance in front of you. So I got one more thing on Florida here. The backup situation seems to be pretty handled in Chris Trieger. He's he's somebody that came out of nowhere and, and really excelled in what he was able to do. What I want to know is about Spencer Knight. We're seeing, like, a trend go towards younger goalies and... I'm wondering when we might be able to see Spencer Knight and if you think that he's the real deal. I didn't get to watch him in college this year, so I'll throw out that caveat. Um, I couldn't even tell you what his numbers were. I like You'd have to tell me whether he had a great season. I just find it really hard to to keep an eye on things below the NHL level when you're watching the NHL level so mm. intently. So I'll throw that out right away. But heading into the draft, the draft being Vancouver here last year and him being as highly touted as he was, I did do some work. I did some, I had, we had him on the podcast for a good hour, um, talked to the coaches he used to work with, watched a lot of video on him. And yes, I am sold, which is why the Bobrovsky thing made no sense. As a matter of fact, someone in the organization texted me that on draft day, why are we drafting this kid if we're going to sign Bob forever? Yeah. Like, cause I don't, I think Spencer Knight has the ability to be in that Carter Hart, Mackenzie Blackwood mold where he's in the NHL at 21, 22. I think those two moves have pushed other teams. Mike, we talked about Demko coming up here. Mm -hmm. The reality is Demko's camp pushed for that hard and basically, I don't say forced the Canucks hand, but nudged the Canucks hand to trading Anders Nilsson and creating that spot for Demko, largely because guys like Hart and Blackwood were getting opportunities that he wasn't at a younger age and proving they could handle it. And so, you know, that trend is something that's coming. So... To have Florida with a guy of that pedigree sitting there and basically put a ceiling on him for 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 the length of Bob, Bob's contract, yeah. um, you know, maybe early in the early on, and especially maybe like he's obviously not well. I don't know what what next year holds. I haven't haven't looked into that in terms of his status. I would expect he stays in school. He's already at BC, I think. Right now, I saw some footage because he's wearing some cool new pads, um, and I, I just. The two don't add up. I could see Spencer Knight having a hell of a career somewhere else because of the Bobrovsky contract. Oh, wow. 
I don't know how much you know, uh, probably a lot, about uh, their backup situation. I've been a big fan of, of Drieger, but he does seem to be in that sort of Demco spot where there's a hot guy coming up below him and a hot guy on top of him. Do you see him taking over as, as a main backup? And how, how many games do you think... Because, you know, Bob Roski is obviously a $10 million man, so they don't they want to give him some games. But how do you see the split going there? Uh, you know, something like 60-20 or more like a 50-30 type of thing? Or Well, see, this is a tough one because we don't know what the schedule is going to look like. But I think that all splits are going to become more equal. Like, Bob is obviously going to be one of those guys that gets more games. And I think you have to be cognizant of sample size with Dreger. But, again, he's another guy that... You know, he figured things out a little bit. And we had him on the podcast, too, and he admitted, like, we hear this a lot, and it it sort of always makes me scratch my head. Like, what do you mean he didn't know how to be a pro? But it took him a while to sort of figure it out, like the work that was required. You have success at a young age. You create expectations. You don't realize just how hard it is to maintain. And he changed a lot of things in terms of those habits, and now he's having success at at a... you know, at a level that, frankly, I didn't see coming. I actually had Florida as a team last year going into the year and kind of apologized to him for this, but I had him as a team that I, I would have been looking on the waiver wire to, you know, to bolster my depth. I liked them. I, I just wasn't sure they had a three, and I saw Montembeau as the two, and I didn't see Dreger doing this. So um, full credit to him. He's certainly shown that he's capable of more at the NHL level, and I think the schedule will dictate that he gets more in the short term. But long term, like Bob's the last of a dying breed when it comes to workhorse. Like him and Vasa are like, those guys are freaks athletically. <laughs> I say that in the most positive way. Like I don't, that there's no negative. Like they're just, and the work that Bob, have you ever seen the, like, the locker room after a win, after a game, like Bob's in there doing like these crazy calisthenic stretching <laughs> routines that most of us would consider like, you know, that's it for the week. And he's doing it after a busy game. Like, he just his work ethic is unparalleled, to be honest with you, and 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 so Vatan Vasilevsky's athleticism and the power that he still has at the end of range of motion is unparalleled. So those are sort of the last two guys that I see in that workhorse environment, and I think in a, in a condensed schedule, even they're going to be challenged. I think we saw it in the playoffs. I think you know there's no way you weren't going to keep starting Bob if you're Florida, but in the back to back games, you know there was a drop off there. So. You know, I would expect Dreger to get more. What that split looks like, I couldn't tell you till I see the schedule. Are we looking at fifteen back to backs next year? Or are we looking at thirty? Yeah, true, true. I haven't heard. I, I mean, the last thing I heard now is uh, the schedule starting up January at the earliest and and sixty five games. So every time, everything I've heard is different every every hour, basically. Yeah, and, and and I think. As Bettman said yesterday, anybody that tells you they know or have an idea is not telling the truth because they just don't know. I think there is that level of uncertainty. But there is a desire to get to 70 based on TV contracts. Right. And there is a hard limit on how far they can go into the summer because they're not going to touch NBC's Olympic schedule. Like They're not going in past, I think it's July 23rd, that the Olympic broadcast schedule goes. You're not competing with what NBC, your primary sponsor in the United States. We've seen how they've bent to the will of NBC in these playoffs in terms of scheduling. You're sure as hell not going to put them in a situation where they have to choose between hockey and the Olympics because what have they invested up? One and a half billion dollars in the Olympics? I'm pretty sure you lose that battle. So if you start in January and your time window is by the end of July to be done 
and you want to get to 70, I'm not saying I know that's the number, but I believe that's a number that satisfies a lot of TV contracts. You know, again, every person I talk to is preparing for a really, really condensed schedule next year. I've even heard, uh, I think it was uh, Old Balls, Brian Burke was talking about how he's actually anticipating some teams are going to run with three goalies who can because it's going to be that condensed, that that's a real possibility. Like the, And I'm sure we'll get to this in a minute, but maybe something like King Henrik doesn't retire this year, you know, things like that, but... Oh, I hope he. I hope he doesn't, because he can still play. Um, I think th- there's one thing that I've pushed for a number of years here, and it doesn't really affect fantasy in terms of carrying three. Although it'd be interesting to see if the PA pushes back on this, because I, I hear there has been some at times. Um, I've pushed for practice goalies for a long time. Um, Devin Dubnik was always the guy I pointed to because when he went to Minnesota that first year, you guys remember he played 48 straight games, <laughs> and many at the time had. Darcy Kemper and Nicholas Backstrom also under contract. So they had a three goalie rotation. What it allowed Devin to do was go in, go in and do his goalie work with the goalie coach 20 minutes before practice, stay for one or two of the rush drills that always start practice. They're borderline useless for goalies. Anyways, it's a bunch of like three on O's like, cause that's how games work guys teeing it up from the hash marks. <laughs> um, but he would stick around for a couple of those, get a little bit of his flow timing, a little bit of his retreat try, timing in for rush chances. And then he bugger off. And he could do it because nobody get pissed off that it was the equipment guy going in. They had NHL goaltenders to shoot on. Smart. And he played 48 straight games and had no drop off in level. And we still haven't, we've seen teams tinker with practice goalies here and there, but nobody's fully committed to it. I think if anything, this condensed schedule means that you, you cannot expect your goaltender to waste energy in an hour long or 45 minute long practice where I would say 60 to 75% of it is actually detrimental to a goaltender because of the structure it doesn't actually help them in any way shape or form so there's my plug for practice goalies Uh, if any (laughs) team needs to sign one to you know uh, a reasonable contract i'm willing to be a target for 90 mile an hour slap shots uh we'll 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 play for equipment well speaking of goalies uh teams with um some decisions to make what about washington and holtby and that whole uh, whole scene there i mean they've got another another team with with Samsonov coming off, who's by all accounts the, you know the the best of the up and coming guys. Holtby's had a interesting set of highs and lows through his career, where he's he's the best in the world, and then he doesn't even deserve to be in the league. And and uh, you know with the all the variables like the new season being weird. And uh, just a plethora of goalies to choose from. What do, what do you see happening in Washington? Well, I think, you know, talking to teams in terms of how they've structured their UFA list, um, the top tier is Markstrom and Laner. Holtby sort of sits in a middle tier between them and everyone else. Like the, 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 actually, Talbot's worked his way into that conversation in that second tier with Holtby. Um, I think a couple of years ago, Holtby would have been in that top tier. Uh, I believe Holtby wants to come west. I think Washington's already said that they're going to move on from him. I believe he would be comfortable coming west. He's from Lloyd uh, Minster, sort of Saskatchewan, Alberta border. But again, I I just like I like I, I've talked to a lot of people and they don't have a clue how this market's going to play out. I think Braden. I don't think Braden Holpe wants to play forever. I think he would have settled for a contract that took him to thirty five and and ridden off into the sunset. He's got other things in his life. Would again all the uncertainty uh, around the league have him maybe say, okay, I'll stay in Washington for a lot less because they're clearly capped out. 
Maybe. Maybe that's a possibility. I honestly don't know. Um, I think initially there was a desire to come west and a desire to maybe take a five-year deal, but I don't know that the new math of you know a flat cap is going to add up for him or the opportunities. I, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see where this goes. I could see a fit in Calgary, though. In terms of Washington, uh, Samsonov has come a long way. He had a heck of a season. It's amazing to me. Here's the reality. He wasn't even their second best goaltender last year coming out of training camp. Phoenix Copley outplayed him throughout camp. Phoenix Copley earned the backup job with the Washington Capitals. They were so capped out that Copley's deal, which I I think is quite conservative, you guys can look it up, I think it's like just over a mil, but that was enough of a difference that Samsonov's entry level kept him on the team to start. Kept him working with the goaltending coach in Washington. They liked the progress that was made. Like his first half a season in North America, and a lot of people just attributed it to adjusting to North America from Russia, and certainly that was a part of it. You know, again, you talk about all the things that change, um, your culture, your language, all the barriers that made it tough to get comfortable. But at the end of the day, his game was way too loose as well. It, it just was kind of all over the map. And it wasn't actually until mid-January when a consultant that I work with went in and spent a week in Washington that things started to change. And there were some efficiencies put into his game that he's built on since then. So it's funny because I think a lot of people did have him as sort of the the best of those those prospects. I had him below Sorokin and Shesterkin, but I give him full credit. I watched the video of him in his first half of the American Hockey League season in his first year. And it was... Oh, atrocious is too hard a word, <laughs> but it wasn't far off. It wasn't far, guys. Like it, he was all over the map, like just a, a mess of inefficiency and wasted movement, and just I, I was shocked by what I saw. But then when I saw him this year, I'm like, holy crap, has he come a long way? So it's a credit to the the, the raw skill and the ability to sort of progress. And I think that progression and how quickly it's happened, as much as people just say, oh, he's this highly regarded prospect, and he was always supposed to be this. Mid-January of his first pro season, he wasn't even close to this. Mm. At training camp last year, he wasn't the second-best goalie, but the contract got and the pedigree got him the job. The fact he's progressed is why we're having this conversation now um, about the potential for him taking over. If you're going to walk from Hopi, though, you better make sure you have a pretty good plan B there to work with him because asking him to make the stride now to number one in a condensed year, like there are going to be hiccups in his game that are going to require time with the goalie coach to get back on the rails. And that's what's going to be lacking in this, unless you have a practice goalie, unless you have a backup that can play. Because you can't work on your game if you're starting night in and night out, even starting every second game or every second day, sorry. There's not enough time. You have to prioritize rest over working on your game with your goalie coach. And Things slip, details slip, especially on young guys that are trying to make big changes. So he's going to need, he's capable of being the guy in Washington, but he's going to need a strong support. And and maybe that is Copley, I'm not sure, but they're going to need somebody there. And it'll be interesting to see again, you know, um, whether where they find that and how they go about doing that, because it's going to be important if it is Samsonov as the number one. In a team of that caliber too, you know, if you're if you're Ottawa, you can screw around for a year or two. Nobody's going to notice because you're just so bad. But a team of that caliber, can you can you jump to Samsonov and Copley to to hold that team together? Well, I, I, here's the thing: it's not going to matter if they keep. What did I say? Braden Holpe had the lowest expected save percentage in the entire National Hockey League last year. If that's how you keep playing, 
Like Barry Trotz got their attention for one playoff run. It started mid-March of that year. He got their attention and their buy-in defensively for one run, and look what happened. And then they moved on from him. That group, but even when Barry was to that point, they'd never gotten that buy-in. And it's gone right out the window since. With Rich. So the question isn't to me even so much about the goaltending, although obviously that's a big part of it for all the reasons we just discussed. But it's can Peter Laviolette snap that group to attention defensively because the way they're doing it doesn't work. Like it hasn't worked now for a couple of years. It's like they know the formula that got them a cup <laughs> and they are either can't or aren't willing to go back to it. They just... They won't buy in as a group defensively. Like, dude, like lowest expected save percentage in the National Hockey League for Braden Holpe for a team that you, like you said, should have all those expectations. Mike, I'm not saying you have to turn into the Islanders or the '95 Devils, but you got to defend at some point. And again, I look at that list of these teams: Washington with Holpe, Bobrovsky in Florida, Martin Jones in San Jose, even the Rangers. You can't get away with that level of defensive play and expect your your goalies to bail them out. There's only a couple that have this year. Jordan Bennington bailed out the Blues. That's a bad narrative that they're a great defensive team. They weren't, and he bailed them out big time. Carter Hart gets overlooked. You know, again, he's like like the sixth lowest expected save percentage. He played well above it and bailed out the Flyers. But beyond that, like it's not a coincidence that like the bottom eight guys in the league in terms of expected save percentage are all guys we're talking about as having disappointing seasons and can they yeah. can they find their old form like environment matters it doesn't exist in a vacuum not to repeat the phrase but it's it's just so damn true so what do you make of anaheim man john gibson is somebody that we keep going back to it's he went from great numbers in 1617 and 1718 which was a good team at that point and then the team started fading slowly gibson's numbers kind of went in tandem with that is there anything that we can point to that's kind of tangible what happened in Anaheim or is this more on John Gibson as an individual no I don't think it's on him he was one of those guys that was in a bad environment and outperformed it and everybody loved it last year he underperformed it like he didn't just match the environment he underperformed it by almost a full save percentage which is a pretty big number like it's a difference between 920 and 910 right like it's a difference between a guy, you know, who's in a Vesna conversation and below league average, the difference between 910 and 900, which is, you know, league average or out of the league, right? So here's my fear for him. And that is what I talked about earlier about cumulative effect of a bad environment. You know, we, we've known what they are defensively for a while now. Once that ball starts rolling downhill, it can be pretty tough to sort of stop it. And the example I point to, just because it's easy and most people can relate, although it's starting to get a little outdated, was Steve Mason in Columbus. Remember when he went to Philadelphia and had all that immediate success? Those roots in his game had been planted at the end in Columbus. Now, he made some changes. He got to Philly, and, and Jeff Reese, who's in the cup final with the Dallas Stars right now as a goalie coach, he was there in Philadelphia, and he simplified some things. He, he made it so Mace didn't have to basically took the read element out of the game, which was an area that Steve struggled in a little bit with his reads by making him play deeper. But a lot of the technical elements that allowed him to have success, that's a tactical change. A lot of the technical elements that allowed Steve to have success in Philadelphia had been planted in Columbus. And yet, as he told me later that year, it didn't matter in Columbus, and it never would have. Didn't matter how much better he felt about his game, how much better he was playing, because the trust was broken there. Um, that snowball had rolled so far downhill. 
that the goalie didn't trust what the defensemen were doing. The defensemen had lost faith in the goalie. So that everybody, so as a goalie, you're cheating back door because you don't trust your D to take away the lane. As a defenseman, you don't trust your goalie to take away the easy shots. So you're trying to block shots you shouldn't. You're leaving your feet. You're getting out of position. It's, it's a pretty fine line between guys trying to help each other and pretty soon nobody's doing their own job. And I'm not saying that's happened in Anaheim, but you do start to worry a little bit about that snowball starting to gain speed. I don't think anybody's lost faith in John Gibson. It's not like he forgot how to play goal again. He's, he's got all the tools. He's got some spectacular tools. And he's, I think he's actually progressed quite nicely as a pro. But you worry about what another year, another two years of this does to him in terms of that relationship. And, you know, um, again, I would expect him to actually have a bounce back next year. But certainly you at least keep an eye on that. He's, he's not he's not Mason in Columbus yet. But, you know, you can sort of see the start of that that snowball starting to get a few layers as it as it rolls down the hill. Kev, I'm a Flyers fan, so I'm all too familiar with Steve Mason and how that went last year with nine goalies. And, and the year before that, like Michael Neuvert, just somebody that uh, we've had goaltender issues and trust issues up until this year. So I want to move to Philly. Um, it sounds like Philly's not doing enough defensively to keep Carter Hart, to really buoy him at least. So is there any way that Hart's going to transition into a lion's share goalie or are they going to go for... Or should they go for an Elliott or a comparable to back him up to keep it as like a 50-50 split? You know, again, like not to repeat myself, but I just I just think you I think you have to have an, another option. Like this is not the year to decide that my 21, 22-year-old future of the franchise is going to be a workhorse. Like, right. like of all the years, this is not it because of what we expect for the schedule. Um, he may get there. Uh, he's delivering at a pretty, pretty remarkable clip so far. And I'm not surprised because of his mental approach, because of his technical approach. I'm a massive Carter Hart fan. So let's get that out of the way. Um, he's done some stuff with us at Ingle that probably biases me a little bit because you get to know him. I worked for Hockey Canada uh, in a consulting role the year he was uh, at the World Junior. Uh, I was there at the, the um, I think we call it the program of excellence now uh, camp in the summer and got to know him a little bit there. Like I'm a big fan of this kid. And I think you saw some of the things that we all saw in the goaltending world manifest themselves over the season he had, but that doesn't mean I'm just like all in number one, don't need a backup. This kid's got it. Um, You you heard him talk about Elliot and the role he played as a mentor. And I don't see Carter's, Carter's good at like he's he's media savvy in terms of not saying something that's going to create a controversy, but I don't think this is him just trying to make sure he says the right things. Um, you know, there seemed to be a good solid relationship there. So if you're going to continue that, hey, I get it. Is there are there upgrades out there? Depends on what you're willing to spend. But I mean, you know, this is as deep a UFA class um, as we've had. Uh, Brian Elliott for all the things he did in terms of helping you know, Carter maybe off the ice or with managing things. When we look at save percentage differential in the NHL last season, he was bottom seven in the league, like right next to Loren Brassois and, and Michael Hutchison and Malcolm Subban, guys that probably aren't in that same conversation. But hey, Thomas Grice was right there too with him and he's probably going to be, in, uh, you know, an attra- people somebody that people consider an attractive, unrestricted free agent. Like I've always been an Elliott guy, Um Dating even back to Ottawa was remarkable to me. He completely rebuilt his game well in the NHL. The way he played in college would never have worked in the NHL. He understood it. He knew he had to change it. Didn't expect to be changing it well in the National Hockey League. 
And so any anytime somebody has that ability to sort of make those types of changes and institute them while playing, like I think that bodes well. And he's kind of always been a guy that thought the game really well. So I'm not surprised he fits with Carter, who's pretty cerebral as well. And, you know, again, like might not be a bad idea to just sort of status quo is not a bad thing this year. As much as it's going to be tempting to look for upgrades on the unrestricted free agent market, what might be an upgrade in sort of age or skill or even salary um, might not be an upgrade in fit just because of all the intangibles and, and factors that we don't even know yet could come into play. I thought there was some sort of connection uh, between the two as well. Did Elliot have a, a connection to Hart from earlier on in the career somehow? I've, a goalie coach or something? I think that might have been Talbot. No, that was that's yeah, that was Cam Talbot, oh, which is Talbot. why a lot of us okay. were thought, thought maybe, yeah. Um, both, uh, so Carter trains with a goalie coach uh, in Sherwood Park, Edmund. Is he oh, actually the Oilers goalie coach now? Um, since he was a kid, he's worked with uh, Dustin Schwartz, who's a guy that I know pretty well. And Schwartz was a guy that Talbot obviously had in Edmonton, and actually he stayed in Edmonton and worked to work with him in the summers. Up until the past couple of years, actually, he started going back to Hamilton and working with his old goalie coach in, I believe they call it the dungeon. It's like this indoor <laughs> goalie goalie training facility. So, yeah, that was the connection there. Uh, okay, yeah. But, you know, sometimes those connections can get overdone a little bit. Um, and I think for Talbot, he liked the connection too, but he saw the writing on the wall in Philly. He knew who the number one was going to be. And I think. I think Cam still thinks he's got that number one in him, and I think that will play a role in his free agency decision. This, like, don't look. He's not a guy in Philadelphia because he wouldn't, for the same reason he wasn't after they traded for him. Like, he sees and he showed in Calgary. He took the job in the second half and into the playoffs. Like, that's what he's looking for. That type of opportunity. So, I know I heard his name here in Vancouver, and I yeah, hey, if it's a Demko situation, they have the same agent. And, you know, maybe he's like, hey, like I can outplay this guy and, and I can be a good partner, but also I have an opportunity to outplay him and earn the job. But if it's like a split with like a Markstrom type guy, no, he, like that's not what he's interested in. He's interested in an opportunity to end up being the number one guy. And that's going to factor into his decision. He might get it in Calgary. Used to think that was that was hard to get in Calgary with Riddich because they were so big on him. But as Cam showed this year, he's capable of outplaying him. I think, yeah, I think most people could outplay Riddich. <laughs> I've never been high on him. Just uh, another team I, I'm, I'm really interested in, mainly because I've invested a lot of fantasy stock in, uh, in Cal Peterson in, in L.A. You got any, any knowledge on, on him? I mean, I guess that's another situation where you've got sort of a legendary goalie on the way out on kind of a shit team. Do you see them kind of leaning more on Peterson, trying to make him, you know, obviously we're talking everything's going to be fairly 50-50 this year, but is it an opportunity being on a bad team to maybe lean on the backup a little more than you would on a contender? Like, um, and specifically with Cal Peterson over Quick. Well, like, I don't know if, if, if that happens because of Quick's status there, right? But if there's every year when it's going to, Again, for all the reasons we've talked about, this would be the year. And yeah, I absolutely, I'm a big fan of Cal Peterson's game. And so, but but other factors beyond performance sometimes, you know, uh, play a role in who gets what opportunities. I just think if there was ever a year where I'd be buying the backup stock of Cal Peterson, it would be this year because they're going to need, 
you know, you're going to, everybody's going to need more from their backup. And I think given that opportunity, he will exceed in it. Doesn't matter what's in front of him. Um, big, big fan of Cal Peterson. And so from a fantasy perspective, normally I'd be like, I don't know what to tell you. Cause I don't know if that opportunity is going to exist for him there just because of the status of Jonathan quick and the contract and all those things. But this year in particular, the opportunity will be there and do not be surprised if he grabs it uh, with both hands. Nice. Yeah. He's one of those guys. I've just, I've seen him play a few times and I just, you know, I know it's not in vogue in the, in the hockey world these days, but he's one of those guys. I see him and it's just a gut take. Like he is just a good goalie to me. I don't know why. I don't know what. Hey, catch, catches, catches with the wrong hand, but we can, we can overlook that one. <laughs> That's okay. I'm left-handed too. So everything looks fine to me there. But um, did, you, did you know that Andre Vasilevsky should actually catch with the same hand as well? He's left-handed too. Um, he actually would normally catch what we call full right and, and wanted to as a kid, but growing up in Russia, even though the fact his dad was a professional goaltender, they couldn't get him a glove. So that's why he catches with his left hand. Oh, well, maybe useless, useless say, say that out loud. And next year, every goalie in the league is going to be playing backwards. <laughs> He's doing fine. Cool. Yeah. I, I, there's one other, one other team, which is definitely similar, but different, I guess, to LA it would be Boston where you've got, you know, again, like legendary, they got a legendary duo there right now. Um, but both on the way out, both getting old. And, uh, another guy I've noticed is Swayman coming up in Boston is, do you maybe get rid of one of the old guys at this point and try to get him some games? They're all in like Tuca's got a year left and they just re-signed Yarrow, right? Like Yarrow would have would have been another UFA this summer who would have been very attractive, but they just re-signed him. Um, I don't know what happens to Tuca beyond this season, but I think they have a perfect thing going right now. You, you said two older guys. That's why you need them both. So you don't run one into the ground. Um, so for this year, for sure. But if you're buying futures, I, I, I like I'm a Swayman guy as well. Like, again, I get biased towards guys that sort of no stone unturned. I like their mentality, things like that. That's why I love Demko early because of his approach um, and openness to changing. Spencer Knight, same thing. Uh, Swayman's a guy that checks all those boxes, plus he has great skill level. So I don't know how long you need to you know, project out for futures in, in terms of fantasy. Uh, I, I do think that's a couple of years away, if only because there's no room at the end this year. It's going to be Yarrow and Tuca. Not sure I buy into any of the stuff about him leaving the bubble and he can't be back. You know, as long as the Bruins say he is, that's what I buy into. And he's, I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen, well, you know, I, I, I'm from Vancouver, so maybe I have. Um, a future Hall of Fame goaltender take as much crap as Tukaras does in his own market. <laughs> like the dude is a first ballot Hall of Fame goaltender. I don't give a crap whether he wins a cup or not as the starter. He's a first ballot. Like his career numbers, Hall of Fame. They're all in there for next year, I believe. But beyond that, the the problem for Swayman is going to be where does he play and how does it, like there's a lot of guys that are going to be in this boat. He's a guy that I could see being an early NHLer, but still need a couple years in the American League. I don't know that he's getting a year in the American League this year. Like, like, what does that look like? Because for all the conversation we're talking about with the NHL and doing an, a, you know, a shortened season, the NHL's already said they're willing to start with very little or no fans and then just add fans as things get safer. The American League can't afford to do that. They, they need, they're gate-driven. So if a guy like Jeremy Swayman ends up going eight months without playing, um, and that's just to January from his college season ending to, to, to the start of the AHL season. 
like, man, I, you know, and then if there is no AHL season or it's even more abbreviated, like that would be the uncertainty there. So it may add a year to how long before you see him in the National Hockey League. Um, and I, like I said, I don't know what that does to fantasy projections, how far out you have to sort of pick guys. Um, but if it's not too early, he's a guy that I would definitely, whatever you guys do for, for, <laughs> for those career leagues, whatever you call them, stash, whatever. Yeah. yeah Swayman's yeah. a guy I'd have sitting on my bench for a little while. Yeah. We've got, uh, couple different types of leagues like the basically we break it down into there there's re, what we call redraft leagues where you just pick a new team every year kind of thing but uh, both TJ and I are very very getting into the what we call dynasty leagues where you draft essentially a full roster with 25 guys in the minors and the we take it pretty, get a little obsessive there uh, so so in those kind of leagues yeah that's why we're very interested in guys like a Swayman and a Peterson and a lot of the young guys because we can maybe pick them up now to replace yeah, Markstrom in a few years or, or things like that so but yeah that's uh that's kind of where I was at with that with the Boston thing they look like to me a team that's like maybe good for one more year and then everybody's too old all at once <laughs> in that situation that's um, adds another element to it, I guess. But yeah, and so so what do they do? Like Yarrow, I think was a two year deal. I think so. Yeah, you know, I think they see upside in him. But I like to me to say right now, Jeremy Swayman will be with him two years from now. It's just way too way way too premature. But I certainly see that upside for sure. Just just might take a little longer. Take two years versus one. So Kev, I got some questions on how we might be better at projecting and and just reading into these stats. It, it seems like I know you got uh, access to Stephen Valcat's ClearSight Analytics, but like, what public data can us schmucks use to determine like what makes a defensive environment good for a goalie? That's a good question. Um, yeah, I was, I was going to say the be- the best way the best way would be to like be able to like like I can literally look at like more than 30 different types of chances. Like, so if a team gives up this type of chance, they give up a ton of it. And this goalie happens to suck at those types of chances and they sign them. Probably not a good match. And believe me, I see that. Like I see, I look at it and I'm like, holy crap, this guy's biggest weakness (laughs) is the chances you guys give the most up of what the hell are you thinking? I've watched teams go out and make trades for goalies who are very much, like in the crease, position to position, like end zone goalies. Everybody has to be able to play rush chances, but their strength is end zone. Make a trade, give up assets, bring this guy in, sign him to an extension, and then say, hey, we're going to make you an outside-in skating goaltender. And I've been like, okay, hold on. I've actually been on the ice with this guy. He's not a great skater. What the hell are you doing? Teams do this all the time, and it blows me away that they don't look to those degrees now, obviously, it's easier me having access to that. I would suggest if I was an NHL team making a multi-million dollar commitment to a player, I might want to purchase that access myself and be able to cross-reference those things. From a public standpoint, like I think you can sort of sort for rush chances. That would be one. Like There are guys who are just better on end zone play and not as effective off the rush. So that's one element you could sort of filter through pretty quickly. You know, I think probably high danger type of chances uh shots if you know again markstrom being the easy example because we've already talked about it you know as a guy really good on low danger shots and his team give up a ton and then is he going to a team that doesn't give up any i would have question marks about you know whether that might throw him off is he good at being 
these are all small. The, the changes are often incremental too, but they have a big effect. Like, is the guy good when he's busy or is he and no good when he's not busy? Like, and is he going to a team that defends so well he's never going to see a shot? Like, could, could that be a problem? I don't think there's any absolutes, but those are probably some trends you can look for using things like HD, MD, and, and low, you know, low danger save percentages, using things like rush chances, even using things like. Um, just shot totals, right? Like, and and I think there are some things we can glean from the way teams play. Like, if a guy plays outside his crease and aggressively, and he's got a team that defends well, but get, but you can see them sort of opening up sight lines, um, not creating defensive screens, not creating layers of traffic, letting one guy stand in front of him, knowing he can handle it. And obviously, I'm thinking of Hudobin right now. Like, um, and all of a sudden, like like Anton Hudobin in Columbus would probably be a disaster. Because all the things that allow him to have success in these playoffs and, and, and things that when he wasn't allowed to do them in terms of the way Colorado attacked with layered screens and just creating chaos in front of him, um, he would see more of that in Columbus. And we saw other, you know, Roberto Luongo in Vancouver, the year John Tortorella was here. Well, Luongo relied on his reads. He was such a good reader of the game and he was good at using that to get that big body out past and, and to the edge of the crease. Well, all of a sudden... Those reads got tougher because everyone was collapsing in front of him and pucks were just bouncing off of legs and he was stranded at the top of his crease and what wasn't a strength for him was sort of lateral recovery. He's just a big body. It's not like it was a weakness per se, but it, you know, again, you're playing away from his strengths, creating these environments where he couldn't see or feel the puck, but all of a sudden it was bouncing to his left and he was at the top of his crease and instead of a guy who's deeper just has to make a quick, you know, like tiny little shuffle over, he's got to make a six foot lateral push you know like that didn't work and it was a down year because of it so there are trends like that you can look for I think some of it's eye test but you can probably find you know some of those elements in 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 the publicly available stats (laughs) the other thing would be like anytime anytime they sign a guy and say he can make some adjustments or we think this needs to or this can change I'd be like like little light bulbs going off buyer beware buyer beware I think Bob in Florida you know, I say it should have been predictable. I didn't predict it. So um, at least not to this degree. Uh, but again, I think I, I will at least give myself a little credit. I, I went with a caveat that I thought Quenville would make them better defensively. So if you're expecting a goalie with a really good reputation behind a really good defensive team to maintain that level of play and all of a sudden change everything for a team that's horse poop defensively, you're probably betting against reality there. And that's, I think, what happened with Bob, and that would be one thing to look for this summer. Other things like like Lundqvist, there's a prime example. I can't tell you. I like drove me nuts when people said he was done around the deadline. I told you what the numbers said, like top six before they brought in Shesterkin and changed his whole world around. They were just a bad defensive team, but he was outperforming at a pretty high level. Now, can you ride him, you know, till the wheels come off like a veteran, like like 60, like he used to? No, he can't play that much anymore. He's 38 years old. Um, so I would think he still has something in him and in the right environment, he could be great. But at the same time, he's never known a different environment. I don't know how he reacts to not having Benoit Lair as his goalie coach. Like that is... That was just, they are hand in glove for his entire career. How does he react to a city that's different from New York? Like, does he, you know, does he vibe off of the buzz that he gets in that city? And maybe that's not the same in, say, Colorado. There are so many different things that can affect the goaltender negatively. And that's why, I guess, ultimately, 
I would maybe lean towards safe bets being guys are environments that they're comfortable with, where we know all the factors and we know whether they fit. And all these questions that create the uncertainty don't have to be answered. I can't stop thinking about Darcy Kemper to Toronto rumors while you're talking about all this. Somebody who thrives under a certain system and then is going to move to somewhere, or at least is rumored to, to move to somewhere that's not as uh, defensively friendly, I guess is the lightest way to put it. But that would be something that would scare me is something like a Darcy Kemper moving to somebody like a Toronto. Yeah. And, and yeah, no, and that's, that's a fair point. And Darcy's uh, you know, a guy who had, uh, you know, looking at, looking up just how high that expected save percentage was, it was, you know, the third highest in the national hockey league. Another one that, that people, you know, Merzlekins was second and the other one that people seem to miss here. And this is a fascinating one. Tristan Jari had the highest expected save percentage in the national hockey league. And Matt Murray um, was, you know, like below middle of the pack. Like and the same thing kind of worked with Bennington and, and, and Allen. And so when you get into those situations, you have to ask yourself, was it just the teams they played against didn't create? Or is there something there where this goalie, you know, there are things he does that allows, that helps his team maybe get out of his own end. I think in the Lundquist case, I think, should, like, I'm not saying like, that he should be the number one in New York because Shishterkin was the best goalie in the National Hockey League in the 12 games he played in terms of outperforming his environment. He also played in an easier environment than Lundqvist, but you could actually see things that he did that Henrik doesn't in terms of handling the puck that contributed to a better environment. In other words, he made his environment better because the way he moved the puck got his team out of their own end quicker, better. The way he controlled rebounds versus, you know, Lundqvist creates a lot of big long rebounds that are safe in terms of no second shot and no no chance coming right back in terms of the net. But quite often, you know, your defensemen have their back to those things and, and the forwards are able to attack onto them and it creates extended zone time, right? So there are elements like that. Kemper, you know, not just the defensive environment could drop off. He outperformed it. So it's not like he was just a product of good defense. To me, the interesting comparison there is um, with his playing partner in Antiranta, who had a similar defensive environment and outplayed it by a much bigger margin. Like Antiranta is like one of the top five guys over the last couple of years. But at the risk, Tim, of giving you like a nervous tick, it's it's Michael Newworth, right? Oh, like Michael yeah, Newworth yeah. could play. He just couldn't stay healthy. Right. Like, and, and so that's, you know, that's Kemper's a good asset. The guy I would have targeted if I thought I could do something to keep him healthy if I was another team, because I think Rick Tockett, this is why the Kemper rumors surprised me. And they're not rumors. I, I understand they already have a first round pick on the table and they're holding out for more. Rick Tockett, I think, is about done with Auntie Ranta. So a decision to get rid of Darcy Kemper, who he loves, and keep Auntie Ranta, who he's just, you know, I mean, Tockett would have played through walls, right? And Auntie Ranta can't seem to stay healthy. It, it's pretty clear it's driving him nuts. I thought for sure they would have moved on Ante. I thought for sure they would have moved on him cheap just based on that environment. And he's a guy I would have looked to get on the cheap if I was another team, especially if I saw something from a physio perspective where I think I could fix this guy or keep him healthier longer. Because um, he's been that good. But a big part of the job is actually being available for duty. And too often he's not. Right. And then Aiden Hill signing the one way just kind of clouds that whole situation even more. Yeah, because he had some success early. I think bristled at getting sent down to the minors and maybe didn't react in the best way in terms of how the organization viewed him. But he's a big body, a little rigid at times. But uh, he, he, you know, there's there's some upside there. He can play, and I think you know, with, with uh, the job that that um, Corey Schwab's done there as a goaltending coach with Kemper, like I could see Hill 
you know, having maybe not Kemper levels of success, but, you know, sort of maybe being a Darcy Kemper light in the, in the near future there. Fits the system, right? That's what we talked yeah. about. Like, I think he's a guy that could have success behind the structure that they have. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. here. He, he didn't move for a sec, Tim. Yeah, I, was, well, I was just waiting for a <laughs> next question. Frozen. Got you the- guys are so used to me answering for 10 minutes at a time, I only answered for five and I caught you <laughs> off guard. Hey, man, I, I got to say, before we keep going here, I mean, I'm, we're pretty much wrapped up, I think, we're cognizant of your time. Pardon the language, you know your shit, man. Like, you really... There, there's There's a lot of people who are getting into stats and stuff like that and just spouting them off, but... Listening to you break down how to how you use the stats is fascinating, man. It's 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 way way to go, I well, guess. It's, <laughs> it's you know well, your it's, shit. It's easier when you have, but it's easier when you have access to these things, right? Like, uh, oh sure, I would have been guessing on a lot of this stuff. Being able to have access to something that you know, um, it just it just reinforces sometimes a lot of what you're seeing, but at times it actually actually it's throwing it back in my face. Like the, I thought I had Bob as one of those guys that outperformed his environment. I thought could outperform his environment consistently, um, like a carry price. And, and I got access to the stats after, and I was wrong. He, you know, he, Columbus was that good defensively, the same type of structure that sucked for Roberto in Vancouver was really good for him in Columbus. Like he fit again, same structure, same type of play that just absolutely was not the right thing for Roberto, but it was perfect for Bob and, you know, it was kind of a match made in heaven. So it's, you know, uh, sometimes I'm right, sometimes I'm wrong. Having the numbers to be able to go back and check and learn from the mistakes and reinforce the the ones that aren't mistakes helps. It just makes it easier, right? And you learn as you go. Right. Well, I'll, I'll edit out the part of you not taking the credit for that, but I... <laughs> no, man, it, it, it's... I've just noticed that a lot because we're getting so much new access to analytics, even publicly, right? Like people being aware of these more advanced stats and things and, and not really knowing what to do with them. So it's really refreshing to hear someone who it seems like you just know the shit out of goalies. And I can see by your wall in the back there that you obviously definitely love what you're doing. Is that a, what do you got there? Price and who's that number one at the oh, back? Oh, the, it's, uh, it's Lou. You'll appreciate this one, Kev. I got my Carter Hart Silver Tips jersey in the back there. Nice. I saw the Everett one up there. Um, didn't know if that was a Dustin Wolf thing or a Carter, but it had to be Carter because you're a Flyers fan, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, this is uh, these these are um, uh, last three NHL at the Olympics guys. Uh, obviously, I, Lou used to be more primary over my right shoulder and closer, <laughs> so you could see him. Um, because that was the first only Olympics I've ever covered for Associated Press and obviously had a relationship with him. So they're all personalized and uh, f- for me. And I just moved the price one into the foreground because we actually had Kerry do a webinar um, with, uh, talk about that Ingle premium membership. Um, we actually had Kerry on for an hour doing a webinar with our, with our, uh, with our audience sort of walking us through saves and stuff like that. So I made sure I moved his jersey into the foreground for that smart one. Smart move, smart move. I got, a, I got two more questions for you, and then we're going to let you go here. Um, okay, sounds good. It sounds like you know there's not much we can do in the way of trying to predict goalies or even use numbers that we have publicly available to try and detect breakouts. Is there any, like, could you nudge us in the right direction? Is there anything we could do with the public data? Oh, 
Um, Quality start seems to be like kind of where I would like to start as far as like a fantasy. Consistency. Yeah. Consistency matters, right? Because consistency gives you more opportunities. Like that's, that's not just the analytics side of it. Like if you're consistent, your coach is going to trust you and give you more opportunities, right? Like guys who have, who have large swings, high upsides and, and really bad, like, you know, blow up downsides, they tend not to get as much trust from the coaching staff. So I would imagine that quality starts is a pretty good indicator um, you know, for fantasy because it it it's going to lead to trust from coaches and on, on making those decisions. So I, I you know I'd never thought of it that way to be honest. Till you mentioned it, but that would seem you know I haven't done any work to investigate it, but that would seem like a pretty good place to start. And the last one I got is with this goalie market this year. You got Holby, Crawford, Howard, Anderson, Markstrom, Grice, Talbot, Hidobin. The list goes on. There's like Murray, Jari, Olmark. Flurry, flurry, like, like trade uh, market is going to be bananas too, boys. Right. So you earlier in the episode you were saying something that if if they were to stay home, that you would trust it a little bit more. Do you think that because of that and all these questions and variables that you had also been talking about, that we're going to see a lot of re-signings? I, you know, I mean, Yarrow Halak was the first one, right? I'd imagine Hudobin's next. Yeah, and Anton has said he wants to stay there, right? Like I think they probably regret not not acting on that a little. Earlier. <laughs> yeah, right. He said. He said he wants to stay there. That's his first priority. So it's just a matter of making the money work. And I think that's part of this equation that nobody knows. Is Jacob Markstrom, like the Canucks are playing a little bit of hardball, for example, here in Vancouver. And I don't blame them because I've said, you know, in my weekly radio hits for a while now, like as much as he's the best fit here for a lot of different reasons, both in terms of play, how he fits the room, the team, like if you want uninterrupted, they're a team that is bad defensively, although I think they got better in the postseason without changing personnel, just structurally and getting guys to buy in. If you think you can get that buy-in all next season, great. But even then, they went from bottom five to middle. Like They need goaltending. They rely on goaltending, and he gives you the best goaltending. You know how it fits. But even saying that, with all the options in a buyer's market, to just go kill yourself by giving him at you know, probably 31 when the season starts. I think he's a late January birthday. It might even be the 31st. To give him term, it just, in a buyer's market, it didn't make sense. So they're playing hardball. And normally, they would probably lose him. But if you're Jacob Markstrom and the only other team that's going to come out of their boots to sign you is Detroit, are you making that leap? Yeah. And I don't have the answer. I wouldn't blame him if he did. I mean, security, financial, set for life, all those things. I just think there's a lot about like, hey, chance to win, good core, three years and then sign another deal. You know, like I know his agent would probably tell him something else, but I, I just have a hunch that more of these guys than usual might just be willing to bend on some of those other elements to stay where they are. And I could be totally wrong and we could see the greatest games of, of musical chairs we've ever seen. And let's be honest, there, there's one every summer with goalies. It could be crazy. Um, and guys are not, that's the other thing. I don't know if it affects the top of the market, the Markstroms of the world, the Laners. Although, again, Laner could set the market and Laner covers, covets, and he's been open about this, stability. So he may set the market at a low number just because he wants to be in the same place after these one-year deals the last two years of getting bounced around. So he may, he may lower the actual market for the other guys by accepting something smaller with Vegas. I just, I just have a feeling that, that that might be a trend that we see in terms of terms of guys, you know, staying. The other thing is guys are going to end up at the lower end without chairs. Like that game of musical chairs is going to end. And, you know, like the Islanders, for example, like Thomas Grice hits the market. 
well, normally he would hit the market, but you, the Islanders would have to replace his chair with somebody else on the market. But they don't because Ilya Sorokin is coming. Like there are other young guys, you know, St. Louis making the decision that Vili Husso is ready. Like that's a spot that got moved that's not going to get filled by the unrestricted free agent. Like whoever signs there is going to have to be willing to take a two-way and be a number three and play with Joel Hofer in, in the American Hockey League next year. And so, you know, and, and so like does a Mike Smith of the world, is he willing to do that? Um, you know, I'm not sure. So I, I, you know, I think there, there may be a panic there a little bit from some of those guys who are right on that bubble. They want to keep playing, but they don't want to get stuck in where they've got to accept a two-way or a really small ticket. Like stability and opportunity, I think guys will jump at the chair rather than risking becoming Thomas Vokun with the Washington Capitals and going into the market thinking five and settling for one and a half on a one-year deal. Right on. I have one quick one, and and then uh, you can get golfing if you have time for one more quick one. Um, yeah, yeah, no, no, I, my golf's not till a little later, but that's all right. My question is, after asking about some UFAs and some stats, do you see any particular stat that's going to be affected the most, either by a trade or by the year being weird? Because we've all got our little way of putting together stats and how we, we look at numbers and how we analyze that and make a decision from it. This year isn't like other years. So do you see anything that is going to be different that we maybe can't rely on that we've relied on in the past? Like obviously a trade is going to affect the system they play under, but do you see any specific um, stats or, 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 in-game action that's that's going to be changed the most significantly by by all of the weirdness put together, I guess. Mm, that's a tough one. I think I think the analytics people like a high danger save percentage as an indicator. And if you see a guy like have like a guy that has like one year blip where his high danger save percentage is insanely good, that it should be buyer beware. That's kind of like a shooter on a high shooting percentage heater, right? And believe me, the people that do the analytics with public numbers, they're way smarter than me. I may be the goalie guy and I get to look at the, but like there are some incredibly smart people doing some incredible things with data. I just think they're limited at times by the data they have. Like I would love to turn this stuff over to some of them, right? And see what they could do. Um, But when they say things like high danger as an indicator, I totally buy into that. Like that makes sense to me. The things I think from a fantasy perspective that you want to be wary of in terms of the switches would be, you know, frankly, game started. Um, And I think, Tim, you were right on looking at quality starts. I think it's going to be hard to maintain quality starts in a shortened schedule unless you're in a job share. You know, like, so Jordan Binnington's a great example because I I talked about the narrative with him being a product. Like, statistically, he was down this year, right? 9-12 save percentage. I heard some people say sophomore slump and the Blues are a great defensive team and, you know, this is is him regressing. It wasn't true. Like, we did an article at ingoalmag.com and it wasn't me that wrote it. We had one of our writers take a look at the clear sight numbers and, like, Binnington outperformed his environment at, like, a top... Like, he should be in the Vesna conversation. Not a finalist, but top five, top six. That's how good he was this year. Wow. And a lot of people looked at him and they're like, I talked about the difference between expected for him and Jake. And, like, Jake had a 927 and Binnington had a 912. Binnington had a bad year. Well, it's not true. It's just not true. But next year, without having Jake there to play a bunch... You know, like if if Villy stubs his toe in any way and they need to lean hard on Bennington, especially if they lose Peter Angelo, like a bunch of things change there. And and he could be thrust into a workhorse situation. 
And so I'm not saying he's not capable of being a workhorse. I'm saying that next year is going to be really tough on anybody. And so things like quality starts for guys that all of a sudden have to play with less rest than they're used to and play a lot more in a tougher schedule. Um, and in his case, maybe an even worsening defensive environment if they, if, you know, if they lose personnel on the back end, like, like Alex Peter Angelo. Um, yeah, stuff like that could, could cause you to take a hit. I, I think consistency is going to be tough next year. Um, especially for guys who are in new roles. Let's put it that way, because there's not going to be enough breathing room to adjust your game in practice, to reset yourself physically with days off. It's just going to be a mad rush. Kevin, thank you so much for, for all your time this morning, man. I hope you do well on the on the links today. And uh, one more time, you guys can find Kevin on Ingo Mag. I guess if, if there's anything else you want to plug, your Twitter... Uh, Whatever you Ingolmag.com. like. Yeah, Ingolmag.com is the best spot. Uh, Kevin is in goal on Twitter. Ingolmag uh, on Twitter. Just look up Ingol Magazine on Twitter. Uh, all the social medias, as they call them. Um, and that's where we push a lot of our content is through either Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. All our stories get, when we post a new story, we always post a link and, and update it in, in, in those formats. So it's the best place to keep track of what we're doing. Um, as far as golf goes, my goal is always just not to embarrass myself, guys. So that, <laughs> I, I think I can achieve that. Well, good luck either way, man. Appreciate all your time, Kev. Have a great day, all right? Yeah, thanks Thanks for having me, guys. Take care. Take care. That was awesome, man. Uh, Kevin is, like, obviously really smart and super generous with his time. We appreciate, uh, you know, the almost hour and a half that, that we were hanging out on the, the podcast here. Well, it was only, like, 75 minutes of me and him talking Canucks, so we'll be all right. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I know the Canucks fans, and as passionate as they are, they're going to be you know, especially appreciative of that. And uh, we we did have time to talk about some other goalies, which was nice. So a lot of really good things. And I think my biggest takeaway here is that the workhorse is going to be, it, it's going to be in a really weird spot next year because of, you know, if, if we're doubling down on back-to-backs and you, you got to have like an Andre Vasilevsky who number one is going to lose those starts unless he's going back-to-back playing two nights in a row. And then you got like a McElhaney behind him. Tampa is not going to have, you know, the same kind of year teams like Columbus that do have like two guys, unless they do trade Corpus like Kevin had alluded to, um, are going to be in better shape. So it's going to be just a really, really weird year. But I think you're probably going to want to shy away from workhorses. Like, would you agree that, like shying away from workhorses in a one year league is probably probably wise? Yeah, now that we, he's gone, I thought of the question I want to ask, of course. Uh, but one thing we didn't talk about with, with Kevin that I, I just don't know, to be honest. Great thing to say on a hockey podcast for advice. But looking at all this stuff, like, yes, I, I totally see the, the workhorse being dead in a sense that they're going to get less games. But one thing that I haven't heard talked about yet and just came into my mind is workhorses are used to playing very often and that's not going to change backups are used to coming in playing a game sitting for two weeks coming in playing a game so it's almost like the flow isn't going to change that much for workhorses because they're used to playing very often whereas a lot of these backups aren't used to playing that much i just wonder how much that's going to change for them but either way i don't i think there's no more 65 game seasons for goalies. That's a for sure. Yeah. And I think adding onto your thought, using a bit of what Kevin said that, you know, the, the teams like um, St. Louis that have 
you know, Vili Husso coming up and taking away, you know, a job opening that could be had for somebody that's on this extensive UFA and RFA list. There's teams like Tampa out there that are going to need to go for somebody that's more uh, well-versed in being a backup. And you got somebody like Thomas Grice out there. So like there are job openings that are closing, but there's also going to be teams with a need. And Tampa is a terrible example because they don't exactly have the cap space to do it, but they could go out and get like a Brian Elliott and Aaron Dell, somebody that like could fit a backup mold out of that. And then like, you know, Matt Murray has been connected to Edmonton. He's been connected to uh, Colorado. That's, you know, you're bringing in a third goalie to those certain teams. I guess like Mike Smith might not stay in Edmonton, but like there's going to be this huge carousel that's going to go on. Teams that don't have, like, the teams that have those workhorses, we think of, like, Carey Price, uh, Sergei Bobrovsky, John Gibson even, and we don't know what's going to go on with Ryan Miller even. Like, there's there's a ton of questions out there. So there's going to be less spots in a way that, like, you know, Billy Huso's there and Ilya Sorokin's there, but there's also going to be teams that are going to need these backups too. So there might even be, like, an even further ripple effect for these workhorses that, you know, you, you might have... McElhaney kind of playing in the AHL if there even is a season and then have somebody like an Aaron Dell coming in taking, you know, 30 games if we see an 82 game season or 35 or whatever. It's going to be hard to find stability, you know, like there's so many UFAs and then you have the thing about like, does the does a GM want to do sort of what St. Louis did? And to me, that's a huge gamble. They're riding on Bennington, who had an amazing half season and then has been solid for a year, and a rookie to run, you know, a Stanley Cup yeah, caliber yeah. team. So, like, are people across the league going to have balls that size to just be like, you know what? And and the other piece to me also is if you do keep your prospects down in the minors, is that actually going to be a bad thing for development this year? Because who knows what's going to happen? Who knows what yeah. kind of games they're going to get? So, you know, if at all. I, I just, there's, as if goalies weren't hard enough, <laughs> I think yeah, this right, year's yeah, yeah. even... Adding all even, these layers. Uh, it's got a few few more things to, to look at, but that's what impressed me so much about listening to Kevin talk about it is, like I said, the way he is not just taking stats at face value. I think that's even more important this year is not just to go like he, he used St. Louis as an example too, right? Like, Oh, Bennington's save percentage was down. He's shit this year. But no, actually when you look deeper into it, there's, there's more to the story. And I think that's the moral of moral of this story here is, is looking maybe a step or two beyond the surface level of a stat. Yeah, I was guilty of that too, like thinking that, you know, maybe Bennington came back down to earth, but I guess he was, like Kevin was saying, outplaying his environment. But still, that that leaves you with like, you know, the 912 that we see that's a step down from, I think it was like 927 the year prior. You're like, oh shit, like what's up with Bennington? But then there's so much more to the story. You're peeling back the layers of this onion that is Jordan Bennington, but like, you know... There's so much more to it, and and that's what's nice, I'm sure, about having like private data and stuff like that. But um, you know, there's definitely you got to hedge your bets and you got to stick to your gut. And I'm sure like heat maps would show you where like teams their flaws are, and if a certain goalie is you know being sheltered in a certain type of way. And it seemed like expected save percentage was a big favorite for for Kevin there. So that's something we can look at too. 
I liked the I liked his what you just said there too with the the combined with what Kevin said like the heat maps thing looking at you know just because a goal a team lets in a lot of say shots from the slot that's a thing but you also need to take into account like this goalie does he save shots from the slot so like if if a goalie gets moved to a new team I I think that's really important and I know something I've overlooked a lot is not just looking at the goalies' numbers, but look at the team-specific numbers of where they're yeah. going, and and like you know, Mar- my, my man Marky is is a great example of that, where he gets he faces thirty-five shots a game and pretty much stops all of them because the team has learned how to give him shots he he likes. And kind of a funny anecdote on a personal level here. So, Rod, you're well aware, but our listeners might not be. Our next plan is like to do a thirty-one team breakdown. And we're starting from points percentage up. So we're going to start with like Detroit, Ottawa, and San Jose. And in one of our dynasty leagues, I have Martin Jones and Ilya Sorokin. So it's it's a duo that I'm not like super confident in, especially if there's compliance buyouts. Like Mar- like Jones might not even play. You know, he would be the compliance buyout probably in San Jose. And I'm looking at Sorokin like, oh shit, this is a category league with a two star minimum in a twenty team league. Like. I need some help. And I paid up big for somebody like Peter Morazic. So I was just writing about San Jose and how like terrible they've been and just scared myself out of Martin Jones to the point where I paid, I think it was like Nick Robertson, Martin Jones, and a 2022 first for Peter Morazic, like beyond an <laughs> overpayment. But I just needed to get myself out from under Martin Jones. Big shout out to James at Fantasy Hockey Trades for trading with me and getting me out it's from never, under Martin it's Jones. It's never there. considered an overpayment if you can get rid of Martin Jones. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Do whatever you can. I, I shouldn't say exactly that. He's a, he's a North Van guy. He actually, his parents live across the street from me. Uh, right on. I don't think they listen to the podcast, though. So. <laughs> My house won't be getting egged, I hope. Yeah. Um, I forget where I was going with that. But, yeah, just, like, on a on that personal level. So our plans for, like, the next few episodes is we're going to be doing, um, like, team breakdowns. We're going to talk about, like, t- the, the players that you guys want to talk about. I can go into a little detail here. Like, you know, we're going to talk about top performers from each team, what we expect out of them next year. We're going to take a look at um, a shallow look at their prospect pipeline, like who we might see next year. Detroit's a perfect example. Somebody like Philip Zadina is on my docket. Um, he played 28 games last year, and it was cut short due to injury. So he's still, in many people's eyes, viewed as a prospect, but I see him more as like a lock for that roster. And, you know, taking a deeper dive into Detroit, you got Mort Cedar, and then like um, Joe Valeno, who's a second-round value. So, you know, just absolute stud Joe Valeno. But... um yeah, that's more of a five-hole inside joke here. But anyway, um, yeah, the the plan is just to take a look at each team. Um, since it looks like we're going to have a ton of time before hockey actually starts, I think it'd be good to, like, you know, break down each team. We did the series with the beat writers, but I think, um, you know, having a perspective from you, myself, and Zach on, on each team would be especially fun. And, like, if we, we get into projections and stuff, we can hold ourselves accountable going into next year, see how close we hit the mark and stuff like that. So... Um, you guys have that to look forward to, I hope. And I hope you guys really dig this episode with Kevin. He was, you know, an absolute pleasure. I know it's like super early, but what what better way to really start the morning than to get absolutely schooled on goalies like this? Yeah, man, definitely the most most knowledge I've gained about goalies in a long time. That guy's a, he's a smart fella. Definitely check out I don't think either of us online. were setting the bar too high on, on goalie knowledge or anything. But yeah, he's definitely, <laughs> his insight was was welcomed for sure. And uh, thanks again, Kevin, if you are checking this one out, thanks so much for hanging out with us and uh, 
to everybody out there, you guys can find us on Twitter at FHF Hockey. You guys can join the Discord. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing you guys next time. So thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening. And we love you guys. Love you. Thank you.